Thank you, Jesus. The song's basically taken right out of Scripture. It's the word of the Lord speaking to you this morning in song. And I love at the end of it how it comes down to the conclusion that all of those promises that are in the Scripture can be summarized in a statement that God is for you. The Bible says if God is for you, who can be against you? Right? Nobody. God is for you. I know sometimes we, we hit walls in life and it seems like so many things are stacked up against us that we think, you know, if God's for me, why in the world am I facing all of this struggle and difficulty? The Bible never promised that as a believer you'd, you wouldn't have any wars or any battles to fight or any afflictions. In fact, the Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. But there's always a, a caveat, right? There's a, there's a, a butt in there. Amen? As we like to say in Deadstream, thank God for great big butts. And it says, but the Lord delivers them out of every one of them. All of them, Barry. Every one of them. Amen? So how he delivers, how he works is different in every situation. But as the one of the song we sing all the time, and I can't remember which one it was. I think it's Father's House. And, uh, and it says, you know, the story isn't over if the story isn't good. That God pours his redemption into it, and, and it isn't over until it's over. Amen? Are you hearing me this morning? And when God speaks and God steps in, he renders the enemy's grip useless, worthless, and he breaks it and destroys it. And that yoke is, and that burden and that weight is destroyed and lifted, and Jesus comes through. And so some of you today, you just need to take all that weight and all that heaviness and say, God, I don't know how you're going to bring about redemption in this, but I know the story isn't over because it's not good yet. So God, you're going to bring goodness through this. Then I'm saying, Lord, the author and finisher of my faith has not yet finally spoken, and this is not done. Amen? And so we wait on the Lord to complete his work. And the Bible says, and, and, and if we wait, we wait how? Patiently, knowing the Lord is faithful who has promised. Amen? We live in a microwave generation, so sometimes waiting is hard, right? You know, I'm just like the guy, you know, you, someone sends you a picture, and you're like, oh, it's not here yet, you know? Dude, it's going, like it's a picture. It's going digital and then going to space and coming back down to your phone again or whatever. Give it some time, all right? Give it a minute, you know? Uh, but we're so used to everything being right now. God says, no, no, just wait on it. Patience will build perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope will not disappoint us. Amen? Are you hearing me this morning? Praise the Lord. Father, we are so grateful that you are for us. And because God is for me, the enemy cannot stand against me. All of his schemes, all of his planning is in vain. And I think he knows that. That's why he yells so loud. That's why he screams and throws such hissy fits because he knows that his end is already written. And so, Father, we're so grateful that, Lord, you are indeed for us. And, Father, we look for you to step into my history, to my story, and, Father, to do the work to bring about the good, the God, and that you want to bring about. 
Father, we're so grateful for all that you have done in our lives. And Lord, every, every mountain, everything that we've been able to overcome, and Lord, we know that you're not finished with us yet. Hallelujah. Everybody say, there's still more to come. And so, Father, we wait for it patiently and in your love and in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Well, it is a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Turn the person beside you and say, man, you made the right choice to be here. Come on, tell them that. Praise the Lord. We have special guests here with us today. We have Jess and Erica Canelon here with us today, all the way from Quebec, snowboarding country, and they'll tell you about that and why they had to live in snowboarding country and uh, what God is up to. But uh, Jess spent a good part of his life in Israel, where his dad uh, uh, helped to found and started the church in Jerusalem. And I remember that because my prof in Bible school went off and joined them over there, uh, Wayne Helsden and Wayne and Ann. They, we uh, actually, uh, you know, actually watched their house for a weekend, you know, and stuff while they were over in Israel, scouting that out with uh, cantalons and everything else. And then when they moved, you know, it, the Bible College's loss was also there again to go and work there. And so I, then when they came home, I watched uh, Jess's dad on Hunter Huntley Street and all the rest of it. And so many of you know Jim Cantillon. You've seen him before, so you know what I'm talking about. But you know what? Uh, as somebody who was spent a good part of his life in Israel and has, uh, uh, is probably maybe going to speak some Hebrew for us today and maybe teach us some, some language here, um, he has a real heart for Israel today to see God do something in that land amongst uh, his chosen people, amen, and to do a work there. And, and uh, they are gearing up for the next phase of ministry that God's bringing for them. And so I want you to welcome Jess and Erica as they come and uh, minister to us today. And as they are returning, I said to, to Jess earlier, as they're returning to the motherland, uh, we just pray that God will, will bless them and work through them as they work with the people of Israel and I won't give away any more because that's their story to tell. Would you welcome them to Desert Stream this morning, the Canelons? Woo! Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me okay? Perfect. Wonderful. Thank you, Kevin and Sherry. Uh, it's so good to be here. Last time I was here, I think it was maybe five, six years ago. I was here with a, uh, a conference uh, through the Ripple Network, and uh, we got to know Ken and Cheryl Gill several years ago. Uh, it's actually our first year in Israel returning. I, I'll get back to how I grew up in Israel in a second, but uh, it was 2004, and Ken and Cheryl had just finished their job in Calgary and were dreaming up about the uh, Ripple Center and the Ripple Network, and uh, they came to Israel. They went to Egypt, had a vacation. He got really sick with, uh, with uh, food poisoning, had to go to the hospital. Let him tell you the story, not me. But, uh, you know, so he shows up in Israel all disheveled and just like... Um, on the verge of death, and uh, we both end up at the Hilsons house for uh, Shabbat dinner. Erica and I had just arrived. We'd been there maybe a week, week and a half, and uh, Ken and Cheryl arrived too, and they, they will tell you that the Lord spoke to them, say, you know, get behind these guys, and uh, they have faithfully, and we've planted churches, and we, in, you know, we've gone from Pentecostal to Independent to Anglican to, you know, all over the place, and uh, 
Uh, and they've been faithfully with us, you know, the whole way through. And so introduced us to the Dowlings and to uh, this wonderful church. Another interesting fact is that Dan Catrona, a guy who used to be here, uh, played uh, the B3 on my album. I was recording it in Israel, and the guy who was producing my album said, I have a friend in, uh, in Canada. I'm going to send him this so he can play the B3 organ. And so there it is. So a little, little, little interesting, little, little dis- interesting fact there. Um, my wife Erica is here. We've been married almost uh, 25 years. We have uh, five, five sons, no daughters. And uh, you can pray for us. Uh, age range from 20 down to six. Uh, we have basically two families. We have the first three, and then we lost our minds, thinking it was a good idea to have more kids. And, uh, and you know, you're always trying for the girl, uh, you know, but the Lord has a sense of humor and, you know, just keeps on giving us boys. Uh, and then we thought, well, is this guy, little guy, going to be a, a mascot or does he need a buddy? And so we made him a buddy. And... Uh, <laughs> And so that's, that's why the age range. Um, my, uh, our boys are really good snowboarders, and uh, they compete at the just one level down from the World Cup level. And, uh, and they are, uh, you know, they're, they're, that's why we moved to where we live now in Quebec, uh, so that they can train. We live literally a five-minute walk away from the best training facility in, in uh, North America, and really in the world, where you can train in the summer and in the winter. And, uh, and so they have, uh, we've been there for about a year. Uh, all I need is an airport where I can travel and do the stuff in Israel. And, uh, and they, uh, they have, you know, gone from zero to 60 in the last, uh, last 12 months. So that's where we're living there. Um, I moved to Israel when I was five. I had my fifth birthday on the plane, November 3rd, 1981. My parents were running a young adults program with the, through the PAOC. They were bringing kids, young adults, to work on the kibbutzes in Israel. It was a non-religious program. It was simply to bless Israel. Out of our faith, we want to bless Israel. And uh, the government called him into a meeting and said, Jim, we love this program, but you must live in Israel to do it. And when you come, we want you to start a church. Invited by the Israeli government to start a church has never happened. It will never happen again, likely. And, uh, and so uh, my parents uh, invited Wayne and Ann Hilsden to join them. Uh, they joined us, I think, for the second service in uh, the second service of, in 1983. And uh, after my dad's seven years of founding, he passed it on to uh, Wayne and Ann, who did a marvelous job carrying it to where it is today. There's a new uh, lead pastor uh, who's been there for about five, six years now, Chad Hollins. He's a great guy, messianic believer. Uh, but really, this is, uh, you know, it was, it was a really special moment and season of favor where God uh, really moved and uh, did something unique. And uh, I remember, I'll just tell you this quick story, uh, that um, uh, every Christmas Eve we'd go, and sing, uh, we'd go and sing Christmas carols in Shepherd's Fields, in Boaz's Fields. And one Christmas Eve, it was pouring rain in Jerusalem, and Bethlehem is only a five-minute drive away. And if it's raining in Jerusalem, it's going to be raining in Bethlehem. And my dad had already booked the bus. Let's go anyway. Let's go check it out. And uh, I remember driving through the pouring rain, and it only got heavier as we got five minutes up the road to Bethlehem. And then he and Wayne jumped off the bus, said, oh, we're just going to see if we can find a cave large enough for us, to, you know, two bus loads to fit in. And uh, he was gone for about 10 minutes, and he came back soaking wet, saying, oh, good, we found a place. And I remember thinking he's lost his mind. 
And, uh, and so we followed them down the muddy path, slipping down. I noticed that in front of me, in the place where we sang every year by the same olive tree in the middle of the field, was uh, a group of our people just standing there thinking, what are they doing? Are they going to get wet? And as I walked to them, suddenly the rain stopped. And, uh, and, and above us was this hole in the clouds, and all around us was this wall of rain. You know, because rain, you need rain. You need rain for the crops. And my dad told me, he said, I just prayed a simple prayer. I said, I know that rain is important, but it would be sure great if we could sing. And, uh, and so we had that, shepherd's, uh, that Christmas Eve in Shepherd's Field singing on dry ground, even. Wow. Dry ground. Wow. Amazing. And that was, that was the, uh, the season that we were in. It was really a season of, of favor. And, uh, and so I grew up thinking that's normal. That's how God works. That's what God does. And, uh, and so, from an early age, Israel's been sewn into my heart. And it's, uh, it's, you know, I grew up as the only blonde kid at the time in Hebrew public school. And uh, was, I was, we were there before the Russians arrived, and now there's lots of blonde Israelis. Um, but uh, I grew up, you know, thinking, feeling like an Israeli. I mean, uh, I look like uh, not an Israeli, but uh, I really am inside. Uh, but... Um, my wife and I went back in 2004 for another six years, and we had one kid with us, one kid born there, uh, and one kid in the womb. And, uh, and really, the Lord used us to work with that second generation of Israeli believer uh, who are unique to their parents who made the first uh, Aliyah, who immigrated first. And so we, we did worship nights in clubs across the country. Rage Against Machine would be there on the Thursday, and we'd be there on a Friday. And it was really uh, an amazing time. I remember I had this one um, uh, bouncer. Uh, You've got to be worried about uh, things like, uh, you know, bombs and, and guns and stuff like that. So I asked some, some of the young adults who were in the military to be bouncers, guards. And so, you know, he, they would have their machine guns around, around their back and be worshiping, and, and, uh, and, and then they'd, you know, be watching out. But anyway, this one guy, Mati, he was a really high-level, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, army guy, and uh, I, was, I, was, I had two guys who were really in charge of it all. So they had to keep their, eye on, their head on a swivel the whole time. And uh, as I'm leading worship in this, you know, we're in this amazing club, I'm looking around for my guards just to make sure they're good. And, uh, and sure enough, Mati was right at the front, like this. Totally useless to me. Totally useless. <laughs> Worshipping and totally in. It's, uh, you know, Israel's a really amazing place where there's, uh, God is doing an amazing thing, especially with that second generation. And, uh, and we, we have built relationships over the years and can, will continue to work with them. Uh, but... Um, you know, did you know that in 2021, the Israeli government put out a study that support for Israel in the Western church, especially amongst 18 to 28-year-olds, has dropped from 70% to 32.5% in the last three years. This is shocking. It's shocking for them <clears throat> politically because it means that they no longer have, uh, have the support of the West, which they've needed for the last 50 years. But it's also, for Christians, it's shocking. Because it means that we're not engaging with the Scriptures as we used to. Because it's very, very difficult to talk about Jesus of Nazareth without Israel. If you try and erase Israel out of this book, you're not left with much of a book. 
You're, you're, it's, it's, it's uh, hermeneutical gymnastics are, you know, basically your, your thing. Israel has been a part of the story from the beginning. Jesus today at the right hand of the Father is a Jewish man. That's something we have to wrap our minds around. And to erase his nation, his people, uh, really erases um, God's faithfulness from your life. Because the only way that we know that God will remain faithful today is that he remains faithful to his promises to Israel. As soon as he breaks that promise to Israel, he can break his promises to us. So it's really troubling that there is a drop in support. And so Erica's and my little answer to this drop in support is twofold. We're doing a television show called This is Israel, uh, and uh, it's, it's just a, a show that's trying to engage the young. They have a barcode at the back where you can scan and watch some of the shows. Uh, but also we're doing a project on the ground in Israel. It's a strictly Bless Israel project, taking a page out of my parents' book. We just want to bless Israel because of our faith. Uh, but we're doing it through sports. So you need to be thinking about uh, the Jamaican bobsled team except Israel and snowboarding. And uh, we're going to be working with, uh, we already have great favor, but working with Israel in terms of developing uh, freestyle, slopestyle snowboarders and skiers uh, at the highest level. And uh, we're able to do it without snow. And uh, we're excited to, uh, to already, I mean, I, just to give you one little example of the favor we've received so far, I met with um, the guy in charge of business development for the city of Haifa. Haifa sits on the base of Mount Carmel, right in the kind of northwest of the country. Uh, and he loved the meeting so much that six weeks later I was invited back by the mayor of Haifa, who's the first female mayor in Israel's history of the three big cities. And I sat down with her and she just loved it. She said, I said, look, you need to understand something. <clears throat> I'm a Christian. I said, not only am I a Christian, but I'm a pastor and have been a pastor for the past 25 years. I said, don't worry, this is not a religious program. It can't be for the fake sake of the snowboarders, because they'll just say, what, what is this, some kind of Christian camp snowboarding thing? No, we're not going to do that. And it's, it can't be for Israel. We are simply wanting to bless Israel because we love this nation, because of our faith. We think it's an important place. She said, I don't care that you're a Christian. We love this. We love this. What a dream, she said. What a dream. So they want to give us 55 acres on Mount Carmel to... Uh, to build the slope facing, Mount, facing the Mediterranean. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's amazing. We're, we're, heading back, we're heading back in two and a half weeks, uh, hard to believe uh, as a family. It's our first step in relocating full time. Uh, we're going to be back and forth for the next uh, two years until everything is established. Um, but um, you can pray for us and also uh, you can help us get there. Uh, we, we need all the help we can get. We need to give generously. And you can do that. There's a, a barcode that could be... I gave a slide. If there's a, a thing you can scan there to be a part of our journey. Um, but if it's not there, there's also one in the back. There's a little table, and you can scan over there. But uh, we need you to pray. We need you to stand with us. And uh, we need to go with the force of the, of the church as, uh, as the Lord commands us to bless Israel. Uh, I'm going to preach uh, from Hebrews chapter 2. And... 
you can turn there right now if you have a paper Bible. I, it's a great thing to have. You know that once, once they print a paper Bible, they can't change it with the click of a button. So it's always good to have. It's good to also engage with books, you know, and feel the paper, smell it. Uh, it's, uh, it's a wonderful thing to do. Uh, if you don't have a paper Bible, you're still a believer. And, uh, and, and we welcome you here this morning. Uh, but um, Hebrews chapter 2, you can, you can, you can go there. But uh, I'll just say this, that uh, what sort of spurred us on into this new chapter as, as a couple and as a family in terms of this ministry in Israel was I was, it was just after COVID and I, was, uh, I noticed that there wasn't a lot of uh, online services in Hebrew in Israel. And so I thought, well, I'll do one. So I taught my worship team a few songs in Hebrew, and then I preached this sermon in Hebrew. And, uh, and it went viral. Uh, it was, there were no subtitles, so it went viral in Israel, which was a wonderful thing. And, uh, and so I just thought I'd preach it today as well. So uh, Hebrews chapter 2, uh, you can turn there. But before that, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray in the... I'm going to sing in Hebrew. That's going to be the, the prayer. And remind me at the end, I mean, I, I always forget to do this, but if, you, if you'd be okay with it, I'd love to bless you in Hebrew as well. I'd love that, that song that we just sang, the, the, the blessing. I'll sing that to you in Hebrew, but uh, I'll sing that over you in Hebrew. Uh, but this one is the, called the Shema. The, every, every traditional uh, church starts with the Shema. So if you go to a Catholic church, Anglican church, United church, so on, um, they'll start with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And uh, every synagogue, we just passed one on the way here, will start their Shabbat service the same way. Okay, so why don't you stand with me and uh, close your eyes and we'll, and we'll pray. And I'll sing the Shema over us. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuto Le'olam va'ed. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> is, this water, is, is there a water that I can have, a little bottle of water? It would be amazing. Oh, thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. The book of Hebrews <clears throat> is better understood as a sermon. A sermon to a little church in northern Italy who is losing their faith. And they're losing their faith because they're facing mounting persecution. They're not quite sure that Jesus is who he said he was because what they've heard about him is not lining up with what they're seeing. Their preacher, the preacher of this book or the sermon, <clears throat> he's likely their missionary church planner. And he doesn't give them a shot in the arm and just to encourage them saying, you know, hang in there, you're going to be okay. He doesn't devise some kind of encouragement strategy, church growth plan. Instead, he preaches. And he preaches Jesus. He 
He starts off by saying this in chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. In other words, God still speaks and he's speaking to us now. Hear him, O weary soul. Remember him. Remember Jesus. In chapter 2, he says this, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. And he continues into chapter 2, basically telling his people that this is the only way that they are going to make it through this current persecution and the persecution to come. Cling to Jesus, the high and exalted one, Jesus, the Jewish Messiah who is seated at the right hand of the Father, cling to him. Now, it's important for us to understand, too, before we really jump into this, that he's following a template as he preaches. And the template is called the Christ Hymn Template. And you see it in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, for those of you who know this, is it's the earliest creed of the church their statement of faith. It was one of their worship songs. And it starts really high with Jesus high and exalted, goes low with Jesus humbled to the point of death, and ends high with him exalted again. Let me read it to you. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. So he He's equal to God. He is God, but he made himself of no reputation. And coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death, death of the cross. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. Jesus is exalted. He is God. He lowers himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, but he's risen again from the death and ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, coming again in glory to judge in the living and the dead. He is high and exalted. You know, as an aside, if you are in your darkest moment right now, there is hope. Because that's your trajectory. Your trajectory, you're in Him, you're in Jesus. And your trajectory is up. 100%. Without doubt, without fail. Way up there. So until this point in the Sermon to the Hebrews... You can read it, chapter 1 through verse 2, 5. It's all about Jesus being exalted. And now we're heading down to the depths. So let's read it. 2, verse 5. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to the angels, but one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you should take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. And set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. 
But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, and for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Three things I want us to look at in this portion of Scripture. The first is the world to come, which is named in verse 5. Then in, uh, the second thing I want to look at is Psalm 8, which is quoted between verses 6 and 8. And then I want us to look at But We See Jesus of verse 9. And the title of the sermon is We See Jesus. So let's look at the world to come first. So 2 verse 5 again. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to the angels. The preacher is preaching to a church that, like us, is living in the tension of the already and not yet. That's the reality of the kingdom, already but not yet. With Jesus, the kingdom began to spread across the world like wildfire. We know that very well now, don't we? Yet presumably, Lazarus, who was raised from the dead died a second time. You ever thought about that? The Apostle Paul, who moved in power, his eyes were miraculously opened on the road to Damascus, moved in the authority of the Spirit. He was in jail. And he was about to be executed. This is when this sermon to that little church in Italy was being written. The people of this church were facing persecution like they had never faced. Having tasted the sweetness of God, were now finding their lives turned upside down. Already, not yet. What they're seeing is not in sync with what they're hearing. Their persecution wasn't in sync with the exalted and risen Lord. They were having trouble living by faith and not by sight. And so they were slipping away. In fact, what they were doing was they were going back to Judaism. Judaism, which is also true. They thought, you know, Jesus is too difficult right now for us to be marked by him. So we'll come back to him. We believe he's the Messiah, but we're just going to receive him a little later again. And the preacher is saying, no, you can't do that. He is the whole point of the story. Jesus. That's why verse 8 goes like this, You have put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. I remember speaking to a rabbi about Jesus, and he said, Jesus obviously can't be the Messiah because the world is a mess. You see, the Jewish understanding is that when the Messiah comes, he will bring tikkun olam. Tikkun olam means the fixing of the universe, the fixing of all things. And so he's saying, since not all things are fixed, therefore he can't be the Messiah. God so loved the world. Right. In the Greek, the word for world is cosmos. 
God so loved the universe, all that He has made, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. What Jesus is referring to there is that whole notion of tikkun olam. That when the Messiah comes, everything will be fixed. No I will be left undotted. No T left uncrossed. Complete, perfect, utter peace. Shalom. That's what that means. When you say shalom to someone, you mean complete, whole, without reservation. A hundred percent. No such thing as 110%. 100%. Nothing missing. It is finished. What the Jewish people don't understand, what my rabbi friend didn't understand there, was that Jesus was thinking so much bigger than the tikkun olam he was waiting for. And he was going to be starting so much smaller in the hearts of men and women around the world. Just to, to bring this home, this first point of living in the already and not yet. I am saved, yet I'm still a savage. I am loved, yet I still feel abandoned. I have hope, yet here I am, spending most of my time trying to preserve my life. Can any of you relate? Friends, faith, as the preacher will say towards the end of the sermon, is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. The more we take our eyes off of Jesus and look at the chaos around us, we become like Peter. Remember, we love Peter. Full of faith, Peter. Foot in the mouth, Peter. Walking on water, a stormy seas, Peter, because he's looking at Jesus, and he's like, oh my gosh, look, there's a storm. He sinks. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what's happening to this church addressed here in the Hebrews, and I'm betting that it's something to which you can easily relate. That's why we have to gather as a church. That's why we have to encounter his presence. That's why we need to be reminded of Jesus through the preaching of his word, because even though we know him, there is still too much pain. Even though we know him, there's still too much chaos. Even though we know him, there's still too much division. We can barely keep our heads above water. You know, we're often hard on the ancient Israelites. How could they? Those people who were led by a cloud by day, fire by night, manna from heaven, quails, water, how could they doubt the Lord? But I think that if you're honest with yourself, you're in the exactly same boat. I know I am. You know, only a short amount of time and experience separates us from that northern Italian church. And only a short amount of time separates them from the Israelites who are wandering through the desert. All of us made in God's image are learning to trust in Jesus. So let's continue reading. Chapter 2, verse 5. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to the angels, but one testified in a certain place, saying, 
What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you should take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, and have set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Now, the one who testified in a certain place saying, that guy was well known to the preacher's audience. He's well known to us as well. That guy was King David. And, you know, we wanted to cover a couple things, or a few things. First is the world to come. We just covered that. The tension of living in the already not yet. The second is this Psalm 8. Now, you have to follow me here. I'm a bit of a context geek. I love digging into the historical context, the scriptural context, to try and figure out what is going on in the scriptures. And uh, so I need you to follow me here. Psalm 8, like all the other psalms, uh, begins with a subheading. Now, all of your scriptures have subheadings, but in the psalms, they're actually part of the scripture. Okay, so verse 1 of Psalm 8 is the subheading. That's not true of the other scriptures. And so you have to deal with it as, as scripture. And what does it say in Psalm 8? It says this, to the chief musician... On the instrument of Gath, a psalm of David. Gath or Gat, as they say in Hebrew. No one knows what the instrument of Gat was or is. Maybe a horn, maybe a, str a stringed instrument. We don't know. But we do know a little bit about Gath. Gath was one of five Philistine cities and one of the three of them that still had giants living in them. So remember, Joshua conquered the land, but he didn't conquer all the Philistine cities. Not all the giants were, were killed. And so there were giants living in Gath. Gath uh, in biblical Hebrew means wine press. And even today in Israel, it's the best region to grow grapes, where you can make the best wine. We're going to be living there in two and a half weeks, just at the top end of this same place. It's actually called the, the, the Valley of Elah, Elah Valley. Does anyone know what happened in the Elah Valley? You can answer if you know the answer. No one knows. It's okay. It's very random. No one loses a point. <laughs> Only bonus points allowed. We're, we're given there. No, 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 no one's losing anything. <laughs> Gath was, or sorry, the Ella Valley was a place that saw Israel celebrate one of its greatest victories, where the soon-to-be King David slew the giant Goliath. You had it over there, didn't you? Yeah. You had it too, Barry? Good. You got a stone from the Ella Valley? Yeah. So this is the place. They make the best wine there. And that's where David slew Goliath. David faced this Philistine champion giant who happened to be from Gath. So in this Ella Valley, facing this giant from Gath, King David, who was still a boy, was filled with faith rose up against Goliath and said this, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 
Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so he slew Goliath. And so the people of the world learned that the kingdom of God is a place where faith and hearing trumps sight. And I guarantee you that for David, there is a connection between the instrument that he's playing and the psalm that he's writing. And why do I think that? Well, because in Judaism and by association Christianity, they are all about remembering the wonderful works of God. Not as something that happened long ago, but something that can bring into the present moment. That's why Jesus used a very strange Greek word when he said, do this for the remembrance of me. He said, he used a word called anamnesis, which means living remembrance. Uh, a remembrance saying, I am today participating in, the, in this salvation that God has purchased for me on the cross. Living remembrance. You know, while I was doing my master's degree in Israel, we were visiting a museum in Gath. And uh, the, the, the tour guide, who was a kibbutznik, a guy who works at, the, at a kibbutz, uh, he stopped while he was leading us through these amazing artifacts. And he said, hey, uh, let me tell you a story of something that happened here in our kibbutz. He said, in 1948, two years after we established, uh, the entire Egyptian army came up the coast along with all the other surrounding nations came to attack Israel, 1948 war. But the whole Egyptian army was coming up the coast. And 50 of our kibbutznikim took their little rifles, still skinny from the Holocaust, and they met the Egyptian army. 50 against thousands. And the commander of the Egyptian army thought, oh no, they know we're coming. And he turned his army around and fled back to Egypt. How could one chase a thousand and two put 10,000 to flight unless the rock had sold them and the Lord had surrendered them? As King David penned this psalm to be played on the instrument of Gath, he was doing so remembering the might and the power and the faithfulness of God. He was also calling all those who would raise their voice and sing this psalm, those who would recite these words on their knees to recall and remember that even though there are giants in the land, even though what we see with our eyes is in conflict with what we're hearing and believing, the battle belongs to the Lord. Yeah. It will be okay. Yeah. Because of Jesus. And so the preacher quotes David's prophetic words that are dripping with faith. Prophetic because in Psalm 8, he's talking about mankind. But the preacher to the Hebrews understands that the scripture is actually talking about the Messiah, the Son of Man. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you should take care of him? You have made him, Jesus, a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Not only does this story of salvation begin with Jesus high and exalted at the right hand of the Father, but even in our darkest 
place. Our lowest moment in the depth of our shame and disgrace. God the Son, the Son of Man, descends a little lower than the angels and meets us there. What does that mean? I love that scripture that, that says this, while you're still sinners, Christ died for you. Which means that every sin that you have committed, every sin that you will commit has been covered by the cross, by the love of God. Every betrayal. You know, the sin, the heart of sin is rebellion against God. Saying, I know better than you. I don't care about your grace. I don't care about your mercy. I don't care about the cross. I'm going to do what I want. That's the heart of sin. And with all that in mind, at your lowest, darkest moment, even if it's yet to come, Jesus is even lower than that, meeting you there in his death on the cross. Taking it all on him. There's nothing too low. He died for all of us. I wanted to point out three things. We looked at the first two. The world to come, living in the tension of already, not yet, verse 5. Psalm 8, which is quoted in verses 6 through 8, and now the third. But we see Jesus of verse 9. Verse 8, you have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. So here in our darkest day, our lowest moment, where there was no health, there was no strength in us, even struggling as Christians, living in that already and not yet, with eyes fixed on the chaos that surrounds us, the preacher reminds us in verse 9, but we see Jesus. You know, I love, one of my favorite stories is the story of the road to Emmaus. Road to Emmaus, uh, that story happened on Resurrection Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning. Sunday in Israel is the first day of the week, so it would have been a busy day, people back to business. Uh, but we know that on Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the dead, and uh, the the, the disciples couldn't believe their eyes. They didn't know what had happened. They were, there was a lot of chaos and confusion. They had just seen the Messiah that they believed in, that they bet their lives on, die, and now he's appearing in visions to women, and we don't know what's going on. And these two disciples, we don't know who they are, are going back home, probably afraid for their lives, to Emmaus, which is not very far out of Jerusalem. And as they're walking, Jesus shows up, and they don't know it's him. Hey guys, what's up? What's happening? And they're like, what's wrong with you? So guys, what are you talking about? And, and he said, are you the only guy in, in Jerusalem who doesn't know what just happened this weekend? No, no, what happened? And so they tell him about his death <laughs> and his apparent resurrection. And then he opens up the scriptures to them. Starting the law, sorry, I'll stop moving because I know I'm getting some feedback. Stay right here. Sorry, guys at the back. You guys are working hard. Overtime. He opens up the scriptures to them, the law, the prophets, and the writings. 
which means the Old Testament scriptures. And he shows them that the Messiah had to suffer and die and rise again through the Old Testament scriptures. They still don't quite get it. Something's happening inside, but they still don't quite get it. They invite him over to dinner. It's a very normal thing to do in the Middle East. You meet someone in the morning at the park, that night you're at dinner at their house. They show up to dinner and he breaks bread. He probably says, Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe who takes bread out of the earth. Drank the wine. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe who creates the fruit of the vine. And as they did it, suddenly their eyes opened miraculously. And they saw Jesus. Then he disappeared. (laughs) But then afterwards they say, oh, it was him all along. Did not our hearts burn within us while he opened up the scriptures to us on the road? Here's the thing. That in our darkest moment, our darkest day, when we're running for our lives for fear of being killed because we follow Jesus, even though we betrayed him to his face three times. Not only do we meet him there, not only do we see him and are comforted, but our lives are transformed by that meeting transformation comes when we meet Jesus. Our lives are changed forever. For those of you who came to faith in the 70s and the 80s, you're born again in that moment. This is the beauty of seeing Jesus. He tasting death and defeating it so that we could be victorious and follow him through it. Friends, whatever chaos, whatever darkness you find yourselves in today, whether it's private chaos or public chaos, God knows there's enough of both right now. Jesus is there. The world might be lost and full of fear. Our governments might be sheep without a shepherd. A dark day may be on the horizon, a darker than we've experienced, but we see Jesus, our Savior, our, the one who transforms our lives. Jesus, God, the Son, whose Holy Spirit helped the boy conquer the giant who sent the Egyptian army running away from 50 skinny kibbutznikim, that same God is in you. And he is mighty, and he is powerful, and he is faithful. And the battle is his. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? And uh, I don't know how you finish your services, Kevin, but I'm just going to do, I'm going to s- sing the Hebrew blessing over you, and, uh, and you guys can take it away from there. Again, uh, if you want to walk with us, please do. We need all the help we can get, and uh, uh, I ask you to give generously as we venture off to Israel in two and a half weeks as a, as a little family. And so we just... Uh, 
Thank you so much for having us, for letting us be here with you. Kevin and Sherry, we feel blessed. And uh, I'm going to ask you to put out your hands. There's nothing magical about that. Just a sign saying I'm, I'm ready to receive from the Lord. This is the ironic, not ironic, a ironic blessing. Okay? <laughs> it's a high priestly blessing. And uh, I'm going to say it over you in Hebrew. Yevarechecha Adonai vishmarecha. יאר אדוני פנав אלך ויחונeka. יסא אדוני פנав אלך ויאסמ לך שalom. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift His countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we all said, Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Thank you so much for that today, Jess. Um, you guys have all know what QR codes are. They're out there. He's got three of them out there. Three. We, we use one for the whole church. He's got three. And uh, you, you can scan them. One will take you a link to their videos uh, from Israel. One will take you to how you can give. And I think the other one just is is his family portfolio of snowboarding. I don't know what it is. But, uh, but uh, yeah, you can, you can do that. Um, listen. Uh, they're heading over to Israel in uh, a couple weeks. Originally, we'd booked them to be here on the 25th, but couldn't be here on the 25th because they're going to be on their way to Israel. And uh, I think you still need to raise what was about $4,500. Um, uh, I think we could do that today. If you if everybody here gave 50 bucks, we could cover the rest of their finances for the trip to go over. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be good to do that? So, you know, I think you guys all know how to do it. You know, use the machine, use Realm, whatever. Uh, if you're using the machine or using Realm, you just write Israel, write Jesse, write snowboarding. I don't care. We'll, we'll make sure it, it gets to them. And, uh, you know, we want to just be a, a blessing to them. And, you know, when you bless those who bless Israel, what happens to you? Right? The Bible says you'll be blessed. The Bible says, you know, when we bless Israel, we are what? Blessed. So, so we want to be faithful to that today. We, we, we want to walk this out with these guys. Um, some of you have already heard that we're, we're planning to take a trip to Israel in uh, around February 2025. Um, and so part of that, you know, uh, you know we're going to try and partner with them and maybe get some time in with them when they're over there and all that kind of stuff and uh, get some uh, insight into Israel. And some of you have been asking me as a pastor, Pastor, can we go to Israel? Yes, we're looking to go to Israel in 2025. So circle it on your calendar. Don't book some other vacation thing somewhere else at that same time. You've been forewarned plenty of time ahead of time. And uh, so it is going to be an amazing time. We don't want you to miss out on it. And so circle it. And uh, nothing better than being in the Holy Land with your brothers and sisters from the house. Amen? And if we can catch up with them over there, uh, maybe they'll take us to their favorite kibbutz. Or we'll all just go to their house because we just heard today that when you meet somebody in Israel, they just take you to their house. We heard that today. So, uh, you know, the whole tour just show up. Hey, what's up? You know, uh, and so we're looking forward to that. I just wanted to add, um, we meet lots of people. Kevin and I meet lots of people, lots of people in ministry. But I wanted to tell you from my mama's heart that we feel a very strong connection to these two, the Canalons. And so I would just ask that um, you do support them in your prayers 
financially, because I believe there's a strong connection that God, God's going to do something more here. I don't know what that looks like. Uh, Kevin and I have talked about it, prayed about it, but I just know that God has established that it wasn't just an accidental connection, but God has a plan and a purpose. How many people know that? Amen. That we have, there's some people you meet and there's other people you encounter. And so I would just ask you from a mama's heart to support people that we love. Amen. All right. Uh, can you two just come on up here with us? And we just want to ask the congregation to stretch their hands out toward them today. We're going to pray. They, they have five boys. They need prayer for that alone. Uh, you know, uh, Ryan and Jenna can relate. They had that one girl and then four boys. And they're like, four boys in a row. So uh, there's some, some empathy there. So we just want you to stretch your hands out toward Jess and er uh, Erica today. And let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much for, God, the burden that you have put on their hearts for the land and the people of Israel. Father, we thank you, God. Uh, <laughs> Father, we know that Jesus was Jewish. But so many people don't know that. And, Father, many times it seems like we trace throughout history how, how much of society is raised up and turned against Israel, raised up and turned against Israel over and over and over again. But, Father, that they're raising up and they're rebelling against you. They're rebelling against your people. They're rebelling against, Father, uh, what your plan and your purpose is. And, Father, we thank you that Jesus came. And that Father opened uh, up his heart and his life and fulfilled the scriptures. What scriptures? The Hebrew scriptures. And Father, he is today the Messiah. Father, he is today the Savior of the world, both Jew and Gentile today. And Father, we're so grateful for that. And we pray favor over them, Lord, as they take the next step in their journey. Father, that, God, you will open up uh, doors of favor, that, Lord, what they've already experienced, land given to them, Father, uh, people saying, we don't care that you're Christian, come on over and do this. Father, all the favor that they've already experienced, Father, is just a beginning. It's a drop in the bucket to what you're going to open up for them. And, Father, we pray favor and we pray blessing. And, Father, we ask, Lord, for you to, Lord, make their path straight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for joining us today. God bless you. Make sure you stop and you talk to them in the foyer. They're not going anywhere. They'll be out there. They want to they wanna meet with you guys and answer your questions, anything that they can do. God bless you. And uh, let's put our hands together. Thank them for being here with us today. Amen.